Howdy, everyone. If this is your first time joining us online or you've been watching us for years online, we're really glad that you chose to be with us today and that we get to grow and learn and worship together as a family. So we're in the middle of this, you know, this thing, this thing that we're talking about all the time and thinking about all the time and watching news about all the time, this thing that dominates most of our thoughts and minds and hearts. And it's really hard in a lot of different ways. It's kind of crazy for all of us, challenging. And I want to encourage you before I start preaching today to just be deliberate because there's a lot of things going on in our world that's good today. There's a lot of great things to be thankful for. And if you're not deliberate, you won't see it. So maybe the best thing you could do is turn me off right now, tune me out. Maybe the best thing you could do is move away from your computer, move away from your smartphone, move away from technology, shut everything down and go for a walk and open up your eyes, open up your nose, open up your ears and listen. Because I think what you're going to find is the peace and the hope that you desperately need isn't going to come through technology. It's going to come through God who speaks through creation. And we get a front row seat right now to see spring bloom. And if you get outside today, walk by yourself, today could be a sacred day for you where you experience God in incredibly new ways. So we're in this series called Sacred Days, and we've talked about Palm Sunday, and we've talked about Easter, these unique, holy, sacred moments in the life of Christ. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to crowds cheering, Hosanna! And then just days later, those same crowds yell, crucify him! I mean, that's a holy, sacred, unique, different kind of day. And when Jesus is nailed to a cross, placed in a tomb, and he rises again from the dead, I mean, that's a different, sacred, unique, holy day. And these holy days, these sacred days, give us an opportunity to ask an important question. Do you have a category for supernatural? I mean, natural is the sort of normal things that we experience every day, the things we can see and touch and explain that science describes for us. And natural is good, and it's good to learn and try to prove and use our minds and intellect and our science, all great things. But do you have a category for when you get to the end of science or the end of reason or the end of your finite mind, the end of your ability, your know-how, your strength, do you have a, a category for that which is supernatural, that which is bigger than, beyond your natural thinking? Do you have a category for that? Because these sacred days give us a chance to think about this. And in this category where we get beyond our abilities, our own logic, our own reason, even beyond science, in that space, that space beyond natural, normal, that's the space where we begin to see and experience God and we can grow in our faith and understand His unlimited power. So, ask you to lean into this category called supernatural. 
you know, for the last 1,600 years, the Church of Jesus Christ has been reciting the Apostles' Creed, which describes in a handful of words what we believe. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was dead, crucified, right? That whole thing rose again from the dead. We've recited this. Many of us have heard this our whole lives. We've heard sermon after sermon about Jesus living, coming to earth. We've heard sermon about Him dying. We've heard sermon after sermon about Him rising from the the dead. But there's this next line in the creed that says, and Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I mean, He ascended? We, we haven't heard sermons on this. We haven't thought about this. We haven't studied this. Most of us don't really know much about the ascension of Christ. So today we're kind of going to school. We're going to learn and lean into what is the ascension of Christ? Why did Jesus ascend? How does that apply to my daily life. And I think what you're going to learn as we open up our Bibles, go get yours, as we open up our Bibles, you're going to learn something that's super encouraging about the ascension of Christ and the importance of that in our lives and how it can give you hope every day, but especially in the middle of a pandemic. So if you have your Bibles, we're jumping into Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right to the right of that is the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 11 today. And following along in, my, in your Bible it would be great. So the ascension of Christ is described in, Math, no, in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel. But I think the best picture of the ascension of Christ is actually found in Luke's words in Acts chapter 1. So that's why we're going to start there, Acts chapter 1. These words were written by Luke. And Luke's a medical doctor, and he writes these things so that we can understand these sacred days. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which, is, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? 
The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I mean, these are interesting words. Could these disciples have experienced of crazier things in the last couple days than they experienced? I mean, try to wrap your mind around what they've experienced over the past days. They followed Jesus for three years. They think that Jesus is going to bring about a new kingdom on earth. They watch him arrested. They see him killed. They watch him placed into a tomb dead. That must have been so scary and confusing. Then They see he's resurrected to life, which must have been thrilling. And for the next 40 days, Jesus walked with the disciples. He laughed with them and cried with them and ate with them and talked to them. It must have been so thrilling to touch Jesus and to experience that this risen Christ was real. They could interact with him just like they did before he died. And then Jesus is talking to them after 40 days, and he's saying, hey guys, you're going to be my ambassadors. Go tell people about me in Jerusalem and to wherever. And then all of a sudden, he starts to elevate and starts to rise. And Zippy goes up into the clouds. And it's like, what? They're looking up, and what is this? And how has it happened? And then two angels show up and go, why are you guys looking up? He's going to come back just like he left. Like, this is crazy. I have never seen anyone float up into the sky, have you? I mean, this is a category that none of us have had before, but this is the ascension of Christ, that they're standing there talking to him, and he goes up into the clouds, and they're like, this is weird, and this is awesome, and this is crazy and scary, and I don't have a category for Jesus floating away in the clouds. They didn't have a category. I don't have a category. But that's what the Bible teaches us. And most of us want to ask the question, like, how did he do that? That's a pretty cool trick. How did Jesus ascend that way? That way? How did that happen? And the answer is, do you have a category for supernatural? I mean, do you have a category for the fact that God is all-powerful and he can do whatever he wants and nothing is impossible for him? Maybe the more important question to ask isn't how did he do that? Maybe the more important question is to ask why? Why would Jesus leave and ascend up to God? Why would he do that? And I want to give you two reasons why Jesus ascended. So turn in your Bibles forward to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, the first reason that Jesus ascended. For Christ's work on earth is done, and here's why, he sits down in heaven. Hebrews 1 teaches, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Catch this. Jesus isn't just some moral guy, a carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. No, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of God in human form. Colossians says he's the invisible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is this fully God, fully man, 
comes to earth with a job to do, with a purpose. God's speaking through him. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, after he provided purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He came to earth to do a job. Now, when you've had to do work, right? Maybe you studied for a hard exam or you wrote a long term paper. paper. Maybe you're doing some yard work. You're mulching all your beds or starting a garden or building a deck. When you do hard work and you finish that hard work, what do you do? You just want to kick back and relax on the couch. You sit down after work is done. When the President of the United States campaigns for 18 months and then in November wins an election, and in January they're inaugurated as the President, what is the first thing the President of the United States does? They sit down in the Oval Office. It's a complete, finished. Hebrews. 1 verse 3 says, Jesus sat down after his work was done. Forty days, he shows himself the resurrected Lord. He's done this 33 years of work, dies on a cross, shows himself for 40 days, and then ascends back to God and sits down. His work on earth is done. Hebrews goes on in chapter 10 verse 12 to say that when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, Jesus sat down on the right hand, at the right hand of God the Father. He completed the task of saving us through His life, death, and resurrection. His work is done. He sits down. That's kind of cool to think about. Now, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. It's back behind. Go left, 16 verse 5, to see the second reason for the ascension of Christ. Christ's work on earth is done, so He sends His Spirit. So the disciples are used to having Jesus with them all the time. Jesus is leaving, but He's not going to leave them alone. He's going to give them someone to walk with them. Jesus says in John 16, Now I'm going to Him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, but more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth He will not just speak of his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So Christ's ascension secures for us this greater gift, greater than Jesus walking alongside us, greater than Jesus being next to us. Because how can one person comfort and guide anyone all the time? One person can be only at one place at one time. So Jesus as a body in physical form can't be with the disciples all the time, but now he leaves and he sends his Holy Spirit to live with us. John 14, 26 says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He says that because he's giving them the Holy Spirit. The only thing better than Jesus walking alongside you is Jesus living inside you. And because he ascends and goes back to God the Father, he gives his Holy Spirit to be our peace, our comfort, our power, our joy. He ascends because his work is done on earth, and he ascends so he can give us his Holy Spirit. Question, if Jesus' work on earth is done, what is Jesus doing right now at the right hand of God? Is he like kicking back, playing Xbox? Like, what is Jesus doing now if he's at the right hand of God the Father? Is he like, well, I got nothing more to do. I'm just going to hang out and do nothing. No. See, when the president finishes campaigning, is inaugurated, sits down in the Oval Office, it doesn't mean the work is done. It means the work is different. Jesus' work on planet Earth is done. Now he has a different work to do. Hebrews 7 tells us this new work. It says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus, because Jesus always lives to intercede for them. So his death and resurrection is this one-time historical act that purifies us from our sin and saves us, and now Jesus has a permanent priesthood. He has a permanent role of living to intercede for us, to be an advocate for us. What does that mean? Why do I need someone interceding for me? Great question. Thanks for asking. Why do I need someone interceding? You want to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8 because, again, we're in school. I hope you're sticking with me. These are great verses to look at and learn and understand this topic of ascension, which for you, you've maybe never thought about. Why do we need someone interceding for us? Romans 8, 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What's Paul trying to communicate? He's telling us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So important to know this, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that can condemn us because all the condemnation went on Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. And when we put our faith in him, we now have no condemnation before God. We can never be accused of anything. But here's the deal. There are still condemning voices that run through this head. There's still condemning voices that are inside me and voices from outside of me telling me that I'm no good. There's voices inside my head that say I'm not worthy of forgiveness. There's voices inside my head and outside my head that tell me I'm a piece of trash. There's voices inside me and outside me telling me life isn't worth living. Voices inside and voices outside telling me, just give up, just throw in the towel, it's just too hard. Voices inside, voices outside condemning me and saying, Joe, you are worthless. But Jesus, Paul is saying, 
is there to intercede. You see, can anyone bring a charge against someone Jesus paid for with his own blood? Can anyone, including myself, say anything against a child of God? Jesus said, I shed my blood for you. Now no one, not you, inside voice or outside voice, someone else, can separate you from my love. I shed my blood for these individuals. There's nothing that can separate you from my sacrifice, nothing. What's he doing right now? He's at the right hand of God, speaking to God and to you and me, reminding us of his sacrifice, that he loved you and he loved me so much that he laid down his life, that I'm a child of the most high God, forgiven, that I have someone interceding for me now and forevermore. I want to give you some practical ways this plays out in your life. Just a couple things. Stick with. You see, Jesus is victorious, and now we are victorious in him. I mean, Jesus won the war. He's victorious over sin and death. And when I put my faith in him, I am a part of his victory now and forever. It's done in Christ. Right before he ascends, he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me to give to you. Now go and make disciples. Tell people about this good news. And Jesus says, I'm now going to be with you always until the very end of the age. You see, he wins this great battle. He says, I'm going to be with you always. He says, here's your purpose. Go tell everyone about the hope you found in Christ. There are no longer enemies. When you come to know Jesus, you're now a friend, a son, a daughter forever. And Jesus says, you can claim that victory. You can live in that victory. You can move in that victory Revelation 3.20 says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. So he's inviting us into experiencing victory that's total now. But here, listen, just because He won the war doesn't mean there won't be battles. You see, victorious living doesn't mean easy living. Yes, Jesus won the ultimate battle, but right now things are still difficult. They're still hard. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. Therefore, there's going to be hard days. Yes, we are victorious in Christ, but it doesn't mean there won't be hard, difficult days. And what we're taught in the Bible is that these hard, difficult days are to train us. You want to read about this training. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Jesus suffered and went through difficulty, and yet he's victorious. We are going to suffer and go through difficulty, and yet we are victorious. But he tells us, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, 
It'll produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. So you know what? I am victorious in Christ. My sin is removed. There is no condemnation for me, but life is still going to be hard. And the Bible is teaching us that despite the hardship, that we're to see the hardship as training. So when I go through a unique, hard, difficult season, when I go through a pandemic, this isn't God's punishment for His sons and daughters. But it is his training ground to grow our faith, to to cause us to ask the question, do I believe in the supernatural, that in the middle of the natural difficult days that we're experiencing now, that God can do supernatural things on planet earth, but also in me, that he can train me and grow my faith and make me look more like Jesus in the middle of this difficulty? That hardship is a training ground for sons and daughters who believe in God. Remember, here's the last thing. The angel said to the disciples, when Jesus was zipping up into heaven, they said, oh, there he goes. And they said, but don't look up because he's going to come back the same way he left. And this is encouragement that Jesus is going to return one day. Just like he ascended to God, he's going to return. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, the loud command and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's telling us, Jesus left, he's going to return. So our great hope is that when I put my trust in Jesus, if and when I die, I will immediately be in the presence of God because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And if I don't die, I can expect and wait for Jesus to return, and He's going to make all things right and new. And that's incredible to think of, that there is a day coming when all things will be right and new. Just like He left, He's going to return. Here's where I'm finishing. Are you ready? Perhaps the most encouraging snapshot of the ascension in the Bible is also found in the book of Acts. It's found in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's the story of a guy named Stephen. This week, read about Stephen's life. Stephen is this guy who loved Jesus. He put his faith and trust in Jesus. Because of his faith and trust in Jesus, the same religious rulers and leaders who put Jesus to death were ticked off at Stephen. They said, Stephen, tell us why you believe in Jesus. And Stephen in Acts chapter 7 tells him why he believes in Jesus. And this infuriated the religious leaders. The same ones who killed Jesus now are about to kill Stephen. And we get this glimpse as Stephen's about to be killed. He looks up into heaven and he sees an image of the throne room of God. And you would think that Stephen would see Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. But that's not what the text tells us. It says that Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. This is so cool. In the most difficult hour of Stephen's life, 
the risen Christ is not seated, but standing next to God. This is a great encouragement to me, because this is the picture of what Jesus does for you. Jesus stands up for God's daughters and sons. He stands up. So as life and death and resurrection secures for us peace with God now and forevermore, that if you put your trust in Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on Him, and now you have no condemnation or fear before a holy God. You are a part of His family forever. But because of the ascension of Christ, Jesus sat down at God's right hand, gave His Holy Spirit to live inside us and give us power and peace and joy now and forevermore. But because Jesus stands up for you, you have this great hope. Do you need someone to stand up for you? When life gets so difficult and you don't think you can make it one more day, Jesus stands up for you. When you're faced with temptation, and you don't think you'll be able to fight off that temptation, when you ask God for help, Jesus stands up for you. When you're lonely, depressed, discouraged, and you think nobody cares, nobody notices, I'm all by myself, Jesus stands up for you. When there's voices that come at you from outside that tell you you're worthless, Jesus stands up for you. Because people have spoken horrible things or done horrible things to you, Jesus stands up for you. When you're going, how do I make it financially through a pandemic? How am I going to deal with my struggle and hardship? Jesus stands up for you. Do you need someone to stand up for you? His name is Jesus. He's a prayer away. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you today for the life of Christ, for the death of Christ, for the resurrection of Christ, and for the ascension of Christ, that because Jesus ascended to your right hand, he lives now to intercede for us. He stands up for sons and daughters of the Most High God to ensure nothing can separate us from your love. We need your watchful eye, King Jesus. We need your advocacy. We need your intercession. Please help us in our dark, difficult days to see you are training us. You will never let us go. You will never leave us or forsake us. You care, and you advocate, and you intercede now and forevermore. And that gives us great courage and great hope and great power. And one day you are going to return and make all things right. Our eyes are fixed on you. We trust you. We love you. We pray this in the name of the ascended, risen Christ. Amen.